Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hi, welcome to Red Run Blonde. This week, I have a very intriguing case with ties to my hometown of Moundsville, West Virginia, which I love, of course. This has false identities, heartache, and murder. This week, I'll talk about Quiet Dell. Symbol engineer, college grad worth $150,000 or more. My business enterprises prevent me from making many social contacts. I am therefore unable to make the acquaintance of the right kind of woman. As my properties are located through the Middle West, I believe I will settle there when married. Am an Elk and Mason, own a beautiful 10-room home completely furnished. My wife would have her own car and plenty of spending money. Man, this sounds pretty good, right? But it's not from Craigslist, Tinder, or Match.com. This is from something called a Lonely Hearts ad back in 1931. And well before our digital age, this was how a lot of people found love. It was an ad that was placed in a newspaper or magazine, and in those days, that newspaper that placed the ad would then have a forwarding service. In this case, it was a post office box, and then any replies would be sent that way. Now, this ad sounds good even today, and as a woman who's been on all the dating sites, I can tell you I probably might have responded. 
And according to a blog called Criminal Genealogy by Gwen Kubernis about this person who placed this ad, many women did respond. In fact, quote, postal records later indicated that replies poured in at a rate of 10 to 20 letters per day. So that's not too shabby. And one woman who did respond was Asta Eicher. She was a widowed mother from Park Ridge, Illinois. Asta was a mother to three children, Annabelle, Harry, and Greta. They were 14, 12, and 9, respectively. And raising three kids isn't easy at any time. Now consider that this is during the Great Depression. That makes it a lot harder. She had been a widow for about four years, and as you know, people get lonely. Today, one can be single and happy, but back then, there was kind of a stigma attached to being a single woman. Women were expected to find a man, and not just for companionship, but to support the family. Now, Asta's husband had been a jeweler, so the family was all right in terms of financial stability. But Asta wanted companionship. I mean, who can blame her? I mean, I remember being single and being really lonely on some nights. Asta began corresponding for months with a man named Cornelius O. Pearson in Quietdale, West Virginia. I found this really informative article by Mark Gribben on MailFactorsRegister.com about this whole case. After months of talking together, Cornelius traveled to meet Asta. But the man she expected was not the man she got. In this article, Gribben described the man on Asta's doorstep as a short, overweight, and balding with small, watery, piggish eyes. To me, he kind of looked like the bastard son of Babe Ruth and Al Pacino. So, yeah, he was not the best-looking guy. And even though the attractive widow wasn't thrilled with the deception of his looks, she still probably considered his friendship and maybe even his income, which was about $400 to $3,000 a month. Not good by today's standards, but this is back in the Depression era, and his annual income would have been about $74,000, which, again, not too shabby. So we've all seen the attractive woman with a not-so-attractive mate. I think there are a lot of times the man's personality can win over a woman. Cornelius had written such sweet letters. One read in part, Women are the sweetest, purest, and the most precious part of the human race. They sing the melody of human life. Any man who has experienced a mother's affection a wife's self-sacrificing love, or a sweetheart's affection knows that this is true. I'm trying to find the one, the only one, that can make home a paradise, a place of rest, a haven of content where loved ones await and to whom I can look forward to with pleasure and anticipation. Who knows but what you may be that one. So she gave him a chance. When he visited the home for five days in June of 1931, Asta told neighbors that he was an old family friend. And whatever he said or did worked. Neighbors said her eyes sparkled when she spoke of him. And he left around June 27th. And shortly after, Asta left her children in the care of a nurse named Elizabeth Abernathy, saying that she was headed east on a business trip. Five days later... Elizabeth received a letter from Asta saying that she would be staying where she was indefinitely and that Cornelius would be around to pick up the children for her. 
Cornelius did come by. He got the kids, but without taking any of their belongings, and left. Weeks later, he came back, sans children, or Asta, but this time with a work crew who took all the furniture from the home. Neighbors got suspicious and called the police because this did not seem right at all. They'd never seen this family friend before this visit, and now he was emptying out their house. When police came there, Cornelius told them that Asta sold him the house because she was staying indefinitely with relatives in Colorado. Now remember, she said she was going east on a business trip. He declared to them, I expect to be a resident of your beautiful city, and I'm looking forward to meeting the mayor. The workmen ended up taking all the furniture but left the family's clothing and belongings, and no one ever saw the family nor Cornelius again. There was an investigation. Letters supposedly written by the family were postmarked to a place called Clarksburg, West Virginia, and the postmaster there said he didn't know of a Cornelius Pearson, but there was a ton of mail delivered to a man named Harry F. Powers in a place called Quietdale. Now, Quietdale is about a two-hour drive from Pittsburgh, and it's right outside of Clarksburg, West Virginia. That name sounds idyllic if you're looking for some kind of place to settle down. This is where police tracked Cornelius Pearson, a.k.a. Harry Powers. Except Powers wasn't a single man. He was married to a local deli owner named Luella Lulu Powers. And he wasn't a civil engineer, but a door-to-door vacuum salesman who depended on his wife's income. When police questioned him, he said he had a business that helped people find love and get married. And he claimed that he had arranged a marriage between Asta and a man named Charles Rogers in Denver. The last time he saw her, she was on a train headed to meet the man. Luckily, police weren't exactly satisfied with his answers, they decided to look around the Powers' property. They found an odd building that Harry Powers had built on the remains of what looked like to be his wife's former childhood home. And what stood there now was this windowless concrete building about a mile from the Powers' home. And what was odd about it was the inside. There were several rooms, but each was separated and had a locking door. Okay, maybe not that odd. It could have been a storage shelter. But in this building, police found a pile of women and children's clothing, some with blood on them. And they also found a trap door, which led to a tunnel. And there was this horrendous smell that came from the tunnel leading to a nearby creek. Since it was very late at night when the trap door was discovered... Police Chief C.A. Duckworth stationed Detective Carl Southern outside of it until they could excavate it the next day. They brought in a crew of inmates the next morning to find out the cause of the smell. What they found was four burlap bags in freshly dug ditches containing exactly what you're thinking they did, the missing Iker family. The woman and the girls had been strangled while the boy's head had been bludgeoned with a claw hammer. The Iker family apparently weren't the only victims to fall prey to Harry Powers. Also found was the body of 51-year-old Dorothy Presler Lemke. She had been found with a belt around her neck and her head bashed in, and alongside her was her burned bank book. Dorothy was a divorced nurse from Northborough, Massachusetts. 
Powers had convinced the woman to withdraw $4,000 from her bank account to run away to Iowa to be with him. He promised to have her belongings sent to his home in Iowa, only he didn't have one there and was actually his home in Quiet Dell. Sheriff Wilford Grimm ordered an arrest warrant for Harry Powers. A search of his car found tons of letters of various correspondences with lonely women across the U.S. By this time, onlookers had gathered to the crime scene and word had spread. People were enraged. How dare this man swindle and murder innocent women and children? A mob quickly formed demanding justice. And it quickly ballooned to a thousand. Justice in that area would be hanging from a rope or possibly worse than that before. Police had to take measures to prevent mob justice by using tear gas and fire hoses on the crowd. For his safety until the trial, Powers was sent from the county jail to the penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia. And the investigation started with his wife, Luella, or Lulu as she was known. Lulu had paid for the construction of his building, leading many to wonder if she knew what her husband was up to. Evidence was also found that she forged a check belonging to Asta Eicher. Lulu had kind of a sordid past herself. Her former husband had been acquitted of murder and self-defense in 1903. She had met Powers through a marriage agency, too. So how did she escape being murdered by Harry Powers? That was not really made clear. I mean, I have my theories. Perhaps it was due to her being bloodthirsty and greedy as her husband, but she was also thought to have written letters posing as Asta as well as forging her signature on a check. More digging found that Harry Powers was not only a fraud and a killer, but he wasn't even Harry Powers. He was born Harm Drenth on November 17, 1893 in Berta in the Netherlands, and he immigrated in 1910 with his family to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And it wasn't until 1926 that he moved to West Virginia, and there he met there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Married Luella the next year. Even though police had protected powers from mob justice doesn't mean that they handled him with kid gloves. Some say they beat a confession out of him. Regardless of how they got their confession, what he said chilled them to the bone. And in fact, he reportedly said, you got me on five, what more would 50 do? That led many to think there were a lot more victims. He was dubbed the Bluebeard of West Virginia. And it was unclear how many victims there actually were. He confided to police what he did. 
Using a variety of aliases, he would woo women via this Lonely Hearts Club advertisement. And then they would begin as correspondence. From there, he would work on trying to get them to quiet Dell in the hopes of marriage. He also met a variety of women during his job traveling as a salesman. He constructed this building to house the women, and unfortunately sometimes children who showed up to meet him. He nicknamed it his lab. The building was essentially a death chamber. Remember how I mentioned the different rooms that all had locks? One room was set up so that gas could be piped in. Another that Powers called the operation room was set behind a plate glass window. Powers admitted that he got sexually excited by witnessing the death, saying, it beat any cat house I was ever in. Blood was caked to floors of one room. And this pile of clothing was countless, and it made investigators wonder what the true toll of his victims was. They suspected upwards of 50. He'd served time in other states for defrauding widows and divorcees of their money. Perhaps due to those incarcerations, he felt it was easier not to leave a trail behind, and that's when the killings began. Powers confessed what happened to Asta and her children in a cold manner to the police. He said he transported the family to his building in Quietdale, locking them up for days. Then he took them to a room where he had a noose suspended from the rafters. He took turns hanging the girls and eventually Asta. And all the while, little Harry looked on. He said, I was permitting little Harry Iker to watch the killing of his mother and the others. But in the middle of it, he let out an awful scream. I was afraid the neighbors would hear it, so I picked up a hammer and I let him have it. It wasn't much long after that when Dorothy Lemke met her fate. When asked how many he killed, he simply shrugged, saying he didn't know. Slowly, women began to come forward with their tales of being swindled by Harry Powers. One woman named Bessie Storrs said she had planned to be married to him the day he'd been arrested. This lady was lucky. Also, the lucky ones were the ones whose bank accounts were empty, but weren't killed. The trial began on December 7, 1931, and a 1,200-seat opera house in Clarksburg, West Virginia. They had to have it there due to the amount of people that wanted to be in attendance. Before he took the stand, he seemed almost bored, displayed by yawning and chewing gum. But when he sat down before the crowd on the stand, of course the waterworks flowed. He was dressed in a pinstripe suit with tortoiseshell glasses and he claimed a loveless marriage drove him to place these ads. He denied the killings despite his jailhouse confession. Powers tried to claim that two mysterious men were responsible for the killing of Dorothy Lemke. It only took the jury one hour and 50 minutes to return with a guilty verdict. He was sentenced to hang at the Moundsville Penitentiary. The day of his execution arrived and Powers just seemed unfazed by this impending death. In attendance were newspaper men, Warden Scroggins, several guards, and the prison chaplain, E.M. Geise. Asked if he had any final words, he just responded with a shake of his head and said no. A black cat was slipped over his head before he was hanged, and he was pronounced dead 11 minutes later. A doctor, H.H. Haynes of Clarksburg, had told newspaper men that he'd read a letter written from Powers addressed to the warden. And in it, he proclaimed his innocence, railing about having his trial held in an opera house where people were 
there to be entertained. A man who had attended the hanging claimed that he heard from a, quote, reliable source that Powers was responsible for the murder of his former sales partner, a guy named Dudley C. Wade. Wade had mysteriously disappeared on May 10, 1928. The men worked for the same vacuum cleaning company, and suddenly Wade went missing. Powers took over management of the company, and after an inventory showed some missing vacuums, Powers had the gall to blame Wade and claimed he sold them and ran off with money. The vacuums were then found in a garage owned by Powers, with the serial numbers filed off. He simply claimed that he found them and was going to turn them in. And amazingly, he then sued the company and got reward money for the stolen property. An Illinois coroner named T.A. Hogason was sure that Harry Powers was behind the murder of an identified woman in Morris, Illinois. Powers apparently told the coroner he was never in Illinois, but there is evidence that he was, especially during the time he was visiting the Iger family. In the end, Luella Powers didn't even claim her husband's body, but she did try to sell tickets to see the building before it was burned down. The sordid tale of Harry Powers inspired Moundsville native writer Davis Grubb to write about it. In 1955, he published a best-selling book called Night of the Hunter. And to me, this is really interesting being from my same hometown. Both sides of Grubb's family were very well off. One side being the founders of the Mercantile Bank. And I loved this bank when I was little. There's this very beautiful chandelier hanging in the middle of it. I guess his family fell on hard times during the Depression, and Grubb ended up moving to New York City, and he worked as a page at NBC while writing plays and working for television. And then he ended up in Philadelphia, where he started writing novels. They made a film of Night of the Hunter in 1955, starring Robert Mitchum, Lillian Gish, and Shelley Winters. It's really good. Mitchum plays Harry Powell, a low-life preacher is trying to find the location of money hidden by a former cellmate. He tracks down his widow and her two children, and he's trying to woo her with the secret intent of finding this money. It's really well done, and it's very creepy, and it's really ahead of its time, I think. If I remember right, Mitchum's character had love and hate tattooed on each hand, which really added to the intensity of his character. And I think they filmed a part of it in Moundsville. I definitely know that another one of Grubb's novels called Fool's Parade was filmed in Moundsville. My grandparents have pictures of that. That one had James Stewart, George Kennedy, Ann Baxter, and a young Kurt Russell. I'm super jealous that I never got to see that, but I wasn't even born yet. And Davis Grubb eventually moved back to West Virginia in the late 70s, where he worked on his last novel called Ancient Lights. He died of cancer at age 61 before that was published. So that was the story of Quiet Dell. And the whole thing really makes me think of H.H. H. Holmes. If you want to read a spectacular account about H.H. H. Holmes, read The Devil in a White City by Eric Larson. I always recommended this when I worked in a bookstore. It's a nonfiction book, but it reads like fiction. It's a side-by-side telling of the designing of the 1983 World's Fair in Chicago and the murder hotel built by H.H. Holmes during that same time. Henry Howard Holmes, or Herman Webster Mudgett as he was known, 
was a very infamous American serial killer. His exact death toll is unknown. He confessed to 27, but there could be upwards of 200. He built a hotel similar to the building Powers had, except this one was a lot bigger and a lot more expansive, and it became known as the Murder Castle. Much like Powers, he would trick women into companionship simply to take their money. And at this murder hotel, he would gas his victims too, disposing of their bodies with pits of lime or acid, or he sometimes burned them in a furnace. And then he would collect insurance money on the victims after their death. He was eventually hanged in a Philadelphia prison, although conspiracy theories claim that he faked his death, you know, all kinds of things. There are even theories that he was Jack the Ripper, but I personally think that's preposterous. You gotta read Devil in the White City. You won't be disappointed. But I'm ashamed to say I didn't know anything about Davis Grubb before I started researching the story. So I'm gonna try to track down some of his novels and give them a read. And I've been thinking of covering the Moundsville Penitentiary for a future podcast episode since it's closure in the 90s. It's been on just about every ghost show or haunted attraction. It's historically significant, though, and I've never been inside of it, which is crazy. I think it would make a really good episode. So before I go, I want to welcome the newest members to the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group, and I'm going to butcher a couple of the names, so I definitely want to apologize. I want to welcome Joanna and Laquanel. I know I'm going to say that wrong. Joanna left this really great, lovely review, and I want to thank you. Uh, very special shout out to Brandy Marie for your episode suggestion for a future one. I'm really looking into this, trying to get that all ironed out. You can find Red Rum Blonde on Twitter, Instagram. You can also listen to the podcast on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you also to Michelle for the movie suggestion via Gmail. I love to hear from everybody. You can write to me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.